You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. This week, we have Pastor Aaron sharing on the fear of the Lord. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to give a big thank you to everybody. We did last week, we did a, an offering. Um, if you weren't here, we th- there's a, a church in town called Clover Valley Church. And uh, the pastor of that church, Pastor Steve, uh, got in a pretty tragic accident a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there was a fatality involved, and he was pretty tragically injured, severely injured. And uh, his wife has had to not uh, work so she can stay home and take care of him. And uh, he has been uh, pretty laid up, and they've uh, received some pretty staggering medical bills. And so we actually saw the GoFundMe. They put up a GoFundMe page a couple of days before last Sunday. And they wanted to raise $5,000. And so we thought, we're going to raise it for them in one Sunday. And uh, so we took an offering last week, and guess what we raised? $5,000. Paying off everything that they needed. And um, so I just want to say thank you, church. Thank you for your generosity. Um, I truly believe that God's heart is just blessed when he sees the body of Christ not be isolated but recognizes that we are one big body uh, with many homes and rooms, and uh, we're so grateful to bless them. So thank you. That, I know that speaks volumes not just to them, but to that entire church, to the community, and uh, that was an impactful gift, impactful gift. All right. This morning, I want to I wanna talk on a, on a topic that I've actually never spoken on before. And um, for the past couple of months, I've really felt like God has been um, doing something in my heart that I haven't been able to put words to, and just feeling like there's this, this yearning in me that um, I don't even know how, I didn't even know how to express, and was reading a couple of weeks ago in Exodus 33, and many of you are familiar with this passage in Scripture. It's Moses, and he's talking to the Lord. And um, he, it's where he says, if your presence doesn't go with me, then I'm not, I'm not going to move. Um, if your presence isn't with me, then I look like just like every other nation. So I'm staying right here if you're staying here. And then he says something in verse 18 to the Lord. He says, but Lord, please show me your glory. And it was like... It was like when I read it. It was like my heart just leapt. And this burning that had been in me finally had words. And I I began just to read in Scripture these different places where the glory of God would fall. And he took me to 2 Chronicles where Samuel dedicates the temple. 
And they had spent years preparing, getting the right things in place, the right measurements, the right materials. And they go to dedicate the temple. I think it's in Second Chronicles chapter 5. And the, the glory of God comes into that place in such a way. Oh, there it is. In such a way that you, you don't even need, I'm not going to read it. In such a way that they couldn't even continue what they were doing. That the priests had to leave because the, the glory of God filled the temple. There's a story of a church in Brazil that was experiencing such an outpouring of the glory of God that people would walk by on the street and they would see fire coming from the building. Literal fire, so they called 911 so that the fire department could come put out the fire. The firemen walk into the church service and there isn't a fire, there is the fire falling on the church. We read in Acts chapter two how the tongues of fire come when the 120 are gathered in unity and the glory comes and he rests upon the people. And I begin to ask the Lord, saying, God, what does it look like? Because I, I don't want to create a place, I don't want a church where the presence of God comes and visits, where we get a few goosebumps on a Sunday morning and we're like, man, wasn't that amazing? The glory of God is greater than a goosebump. I want to see it. And he began to take me through scripture and my brother and I, we've chatted multiple times about this very topic about the presence of the Lord and we've really felt like over the past couple of years that God's given us kind of two key components which is hunger and humility that God's not going to come until there's hunger and until there's humility there's desperation for him until we realize our need that without him we are nothing and then we realize that he is greater and better than anything else we could imagine and as I begin to read through scripture I felt like God highlighted kind of a third leg to the stool and it was around the idea of the fear of the Lord. And it's, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't know if I've ever been in a church service where the fear of the Lord has been spoken of. Maybe referenced, but never spoken about. And com being completely transparent, I didn't even know what it meant. Now, I knew what the phrase was, but I didn't really know what it meant. And so I begin just to research and to study and to read and to ask the Lord to show me what that meant. And I just want to read a few scriptures for you real quick. I'm not like Ken, I don't have them memorized. Proverbs 14, 26 says this, in the fear of the Lord, let's put it up there. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Psalms 33, verse 8. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Philippians 2, 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. First Peter 1, 15 through 17, as he who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear. Psalms 115.13, he will bless those who fear him, the small together with the great. Ecclesiastes 8, 12 through 13, although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. Luke 1, 50, and his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. And probably one of my favorite fear of the Lord verses, Psalms 89, verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. What is the assembly of the saints? It's right here. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. So what is the fear of the Lord? I, I believe that we are not as a church gonna see what God has for us. I believe that God wants to do things here that we've dreamt about, I, th that we even have not dreamt about yet. I believe that the presence of God wants to come and rest in this place in a way where you will be marked. You will not be able to leave different or the same way you came. I believe that your family will be impacted, that your house will look like a house of acts, that your marriage will be changed in such a way to where you will not fight, you will not have strife, because you'll be walking in such fear and reverence for the Lord, that your parenting will begin to shift. I believe that your finances will begin to look differently. I believe, believe that the way you act in your job will begin to look differently when you begin to have the fear of the Lord in your life. So what is the fear of the Lord in Leviticus Chapter 10, we read about Nadab and Abihu. How many people are thankful that your parents did not name you Nadab or Abihu? Thank you. And we read about these two sons of Aaron, and I, wa I want to read this scripture for you in Leviticus chapter 10. It says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. This is the type of dying where you don't wake up again. This is the dead kind of fire. And it says that they offered profane fire before the Lord. At that time, there were six people that could be in the presence of God. Six. How many people are thankful today that when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago and rent that veil, you and I have access into the presence in the throne room of God? But at that time, six people, Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's four sons. And two of them, Nadab and Abihu, they went into the presence of God and they offered profane sacrifice. Now what is profane? Profane is when you begin to treat something that is holy as ordinary. When you treat something that is sacred as common. Webster's describes it as irreverence. When you come into the presence of God with irreverence, it will not survive. And they die. And Moses 
says this, Uncle Moses to his brother Aaron about his nephews. He says, this is what the Lord spoke. He said, for those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Aaron's two sons came into the presence of the Lord with irreverence, and it could not survive. They came into the presence of the Lord and were familiar with who God was, and they took a very casual approach to the presence of God, and immediately they were consumed. Immediately. Now you might say, that is great, but that is the Old Testament. Let me show you it in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, we know the story very well. There's a man named Barnabas from Cyprus. He sells a, a, a track of land. He comes and presents a big, big offering to the apostles. He lays it at their feet. And to understand Acts chapter 5, you must understand Acts chapter 4, which is Ananias and Sapphira are big givers. They have the gift of giving, which is an actual gift, and they are celebrated for the gift that is on their lives. And they give extravagantly. They're probably celebrated. They're probably commended. They're probably uh, told thank you and all of a sudden this man named Barnabas comes on the scene and he gives this amazing gift and Ananias and Sapphira are sitting there saying man you're stealing our mojo we're supposed to be the big givers so what do they do they go sell a piece of their land and we don't know how much they sold it for but let's say they sold it for 10 million dollars sold it for 10 million dollars and they say, we don't want to give all of this because this is a lot of money. So we're going to take $4 million of it and go and present it to the church. But we're going to tell them that it was all of it. So they come and they present it. Ananias does, and he gives it to the apostles. And they ask him, and they say, is this all of it? And he replies, yes, it is. This is everything that we sold the land for. And immediately he falls down dead. As they're dragging him out, his wife, Sapphira, comes onto the scene. And she gets asked, was this the full amount that you gave or that you received when you sold your land? And she says, yes, it was. And immediately, she dies. In the presence of the Lord, she falls down dead. And it says later on in Acts chapter 5 that great fear came upon the entire church. Great fear. They brought a sacrifice void of the fear of the Lord, and their sacrifice was not accepted. He doesn't desire your sacrifice. He desires your obedience. And they came into the presence of the Lord with irreverence, thinking they could fool him, and immediately there was judgment. Moses said, Aaron, if you come near the Lord, you must be regarding him as holy. Do not bring profane sacrifice into the presence of God. See, the Bible says that who may ascend the hill of the Lord, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who may come into his presence but he who has clean hands and a pure heart? And maybe you're saying, well, then who can come in? Because I'm not perfect. See, when you got saved, you were a mess. You were in sin. 
you were disgusting, you were in your disease, messy, and Jesus came to you. He knelt down in the mud right next to you, and he embraced you. He didn't ask you to clean up. He didn't ask you to change your clothes. He didn't ask you to look differently. He didn't ask you to talk differently. He didn't ask you to manage your money differently. He didn't ask you to speak differently. He didn't ask you to think differently. He just embraced you and said, welcome to the family. Stinky and smelly and ugly and abused. Welcome. But then he said, now arise. The dead, the dead man is gone. You're now a new creation. Come and follow me and live a life of righteousness. You were never meant to stay in that mess. You were meant to arise and to move and to follow him. So many of us are carrying around that dead man. And maybe you're saying that this doesn't apply to me. I'm not coming into the presence of God with irreverence. I lift my hands. I dance. I sing a song. But you're sleeping with your girlfriend on Friday night, and then you come and raise your hands on a Sunday morning. You're looking at pornography five days a week, and then you think you can go into the presence of God. You're being disrespectful and terrible to your spouse, ignoring your children, and then you come into the presence of the Lord like it's all good. And we come, and we offer profane sacrifice to the Lord because we have forgotten that his presence is holy. And that only those who regard him as holy can come in. And you might say, well, then why am I not falling down dead? Aren't you lucky you're not? Because back then, the glory of God was so manifested in such a real tangible way that irreverence and unrighteousness was immediately judged. Immediately. Today, because the glory of God is not manifested in such a way, it is delayed. Judgment is delayed. And you'll find it in Scripture, how it talks about rejoice that judgment has been delayed. But you cannot come into the presence of God without irreverence. He won't come. The glory of God will not come when there is irreverence. So what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God. How could a God who desires intimacy want you to be afraid of him? My wife and I, if she, if she knew that she had to be afraid of me, yet we had to be intimate, that would not go over very well. Our intimacy would be very, very boring. A couple of months ago, this was about a year ago, I was texting back and forth with Casey, and he asked me, he sent me a text. He said, hey, uh, let's get together, and here's two different dates that might work. I received the text literally like 20 seconds later. My wife texts me, and she says, hey, just so you know, you can't get together with Casey on that date. I'm like, how did you know? Did, like, the Lord speak to you? So I call her, and I'm like, babe, how did you know that Casey just texted me and asked me about those two dates as a possibility? Are you with him? She's like, no, I'm not, but I'm at home on the laptop and is connected to your, your cell phone, and so every text you receive and send, I can read them. And immediately the fear of my wife came over me. And I'm like, oh, what have I said? 
I'm like going back through my text messages. She doesn't read them all. That's not the fear of the Lord. We read about the Israelites, how they're in Egypt, and Moses comes to him and he says, I'm coming to deliver you. You will, have, you will be free. Where was he trying to take them to? It wasn't the promised land. It was the desert. It was the wilderness. Why? Because that's where he met the Lord. If you go to the promised land before you meet the Lord, you'll serve the promises and you'll never meet the promise giver. And he said, come to the desert. It's where he met the burning bush. It's where he met the presence of the Lord. You've got to meet him. You've got to meet him. So he brings him out. They cross the Red Sea. They get into the wilderness, and the Lord tells Moses, he says, tell them I'm coming in three days. Three days' time, I'm coming. Tell them to get ready. Prepare themselves because they're going to meet me. So they get ready. They get all prepared. And in three days, God shows up. Fire, smoke, thunder, loud noises. And what do the people do? Ah! They freak out. They say, Moses, we don't want to have anything to do with this guy. You talk to him for us. You be the mediator. We're good. And Moses responds to them in Exodus 20, 20. He says this. Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you. And in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. Notice this. Do not be afraid in order that you may have fear of him. That doesn't make sense. How can you say, do not be afraid, but you should have fear? It's because when you're afraid of somebody, you will hide from them. Look at Adam. Adam sins. What does he do? He hides from the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the first definition of the fear of the Lord is to be terrified, terrified of being away from him. Being afraid of God is to be terrified to be near him. When are you afraid of God? When you've got sin in your life. Because you got, boy, you're freaked out that he's going to call you out, baby. He's going to burn you up. I don't want to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm scared. How many people, I have been one of them at many times in my life where I got sin in my life and I don't even want to go to church because I'm like, I don't want anybody to call me out. Right, that's called being afraid. What's the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to be terrified to be away from him. Terrified of not being near him. Terrified of being out of his presence. Terrified of not being with my God. And the second one is this. The first one is to be terrified to be away from him. The second one is to have complete awe and reverence and respect for who Jesus is. That I think like him, 
that I act like him, that I say what he says, that I do what he does, that I walk where he walks, that I have the mind of Christ, that the words that come out of my mouth are the only words that would come out of his, that I would never do anything contrary to the will of God, that I would never allow sin in my life, not because of any other reason, but I don't want to be separate from God. I don't want anything to come in between him. I care so much about being with him that nothing, nothing should come between me and him. Do not be afraid. Come near the Lord. And as you see him, as you witness who he is, the fear of the Lord will be in you. I feel sometimes we've forgotten who God is. How amazing he is. He holds the weight of the oceans in the palm of his hand. The distance of his fingers is the universe. He's the creator of all things. He spoke them into existence. He spoke them. He didn't just make them with his hands. He spoke it. It says in Proverbs 25, 14, it says, Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Not all of us are friends with the Lord. Because it's only reserved for those who fear him. The presence of God is built up and its framework in the secret place is built with secrets. What is the secret place built of? Built of secrets. Secrets that the Lord tells to you when you're alone with him. Who do you tell secrets to? Friends or acquaintances? I tell them to friends. I know, I know many of you in this room. I don't share my secrets with you because we're not friends, right? Share them with my wife. It's that intimacy. You don't maybe share me some, some of those secrets with me, but who do you share them with? Your friends. Who are your friends? The ones you know intimately and deeply. Who is the friend of the Lord? It's the one who fears him. Not, so fr- not is that afraid of him, but you fear him. Oftentimes we can come into a room like this and we can experience the presence of God. We can get goosebumps on our arms. We can see a miracle. We can get so amazed at what God's doing. We can have our finances redone and we're like, yeah, I'm tithing. God bless me. It's amazing. We can, we can come and we can see someone get saved and we can do all these amazing things. And it's so easy for all of a sudden the religious spirit to come into our life and we get familiar with who God is. And we come into church and we're 10 minutes late and we sit down in our chair. We're, we're distracted by what's going on. We don't know what's happening. We don't even feel God anymore. But we remember the saying and we said months before, it was like, man, when I showed up, I felt something different. And so that's why I keep coming back because I remember the feeling I had months ago. But I haven't felt it for a while and I get distracted and I come into a worship service and it's like I'm checked out five minutes in. And I'm, I'm frustrated because the lights are big and I'm frustrated because there's smoke in the room and I don't know why we're singing 
singing that song and not this song. And all of a sudden, the entire process becomes about us. And it was never meant to be about you. Church was never meant for you. Well, I don't like that song. It wasn't for you. It was for him. The gospel is not about you. It's about him. And the same God who in the Old Testament said, I'm a jealous God, is the same God that you serve today. We like to think that when he died on that cross, his nature changed. His nature did not change. He is the same God. Yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who is jealous for your whole heart. He doesn't want half of it. He doesn't want a part of it. He wants all of it. You have access now. That's the difference. And we have created at times a God who is simply jovial and happy. And yes, he is. And he loves you. And he wants you to laugh. And he is joy. He is the essence of joy. But we cannot forget that he is a God that must be approached with reverence and awe and wonder. Your worship can never become casual. When you begin to treat what is holy as ordinary... When you begin to treat what is sacred as common, the presence of God is gone. And we all desire here, we all desire here to see a move of God. We all desire here, we, we say it even though sometimes we don't even know what we're saying. God, I just want to encounter you. You will never encounter the Lord in the way that you're actually asking for until the fear of the Lord is inside of you. Because you won't know what to do with it when you actually meet him. This is not a harsh word. This is not a harsh word. This is an invitation. What you've been asking for, what I've been asking for, God began to say, Aaron, you will never get it. You'll never get it until you begin to fear me. Until you're more concerned about what I think than what other people think. And I just begin to repent and I begin to come before the Lord to say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for making this about you. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've come in looking for a blessing. I'm sorry that I've come in looking uh, uh, to, to, to receive something, looking, God, for you to do something for me, and it's not been about you. Father, I'm sorry that I've made it all about, uh, Father, getting an answer. I've made it about getting a solution. I've made it about, Father, you meeting my needs, and I've never reminded myself, I've never remembered that this whole thing was simply about you and I just begin to go before the Lord and I just begin to I begin to ask him to just remind me there's a story about the Israelites how they they were in Babylon and they were in slavery. 
and they realize that it was time to go back to the promised land to rebuild the temple. So they go back, start rebuilding the temple, and pretty soon they get distracted and they get more focused on what they're doing and their lives and building their homes that they forget about the Lord's home. And it says in Haggai, and Haggai is the prophet who comes onto the scene, it says in Haggai that the glory of the Lord will be delayed. It will not come because you've cared more about building your home than mine. And I feel like the Lord just began to, begin to remind me and take me back to the root, to the heart. Now I feel like it's a place that we're going to stay at for a long time as a church before we take another step forward. To get back to the place of reverence and awe. Where when we come in on a Sunday morning, we aren't coming in expecting to receive, we're coming in expecting to give. To give glory, to give praise and thanksgiving. The atmosphere that increases the glory of God is an atmosphere of thankfulness. We see it with the five loaves and the two fish. What does Jesus do before it multiplies? He thanks the Lord for it. Thanksgiving is what creates an atmosphere of multiplication. And I felt like this morning that there's people here that they just need to begin to repent before the Lord. As I've done, I feel like every day for the past month is to just come before the Lord to repent. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for making this about me. Forgive me for coming in wanting a blessing. Forgive me, Father, I'm so sorry. God, that I've made this about what I can get and not about what I can give to you. Forgive me thinking that this was about me. Forgive me, Father, for coming in with irreverence, for being distracted, for not recognizing, God, that I was made for you. Father, in my alone times, in my secret place with you, Father, forgive me for being distracted, for being complacent. Father, forgive me, Father, for being lazy. Forgive me, Father, for coming in and thinking that I can just casually approach you. Remind us, Lord, that you're the king. I feel like many in this room, as I've been sharing about the profane offering before the Lord, is something has, has quickened in your heart where you've been wondering, Father, is that me? Have I done that? And as I continue to share, you're realizing the casual approach that you've had towards a holy God. And I want to give you a moment right now to come up and to begin to repent before the Lord. If you feel like you need to come and repent before the Lord to say, Father, forgive me for treating what is sacred as ordinary. Forgive me, Father, for treating what is holy as common. And if we're honest, the entire church should probably repent. But for those of you who feel like you need to come before the Lord right now, I just want to give you a moment to come up to the altar and we're going to begin to sing a song and we're going to worship. Let me give you an indicator that you don't treat what is holy 
as common. Here's what the indicator is. That what you saw in Second Chronicles chapter 5 of the, of the thunder, of the lightning, of the cloud of the glory. If you see that, then you're probably good. If you see the manifest glory of God in your life, then you're good. But if you don't, I want to I challenge you for a moment. That is possible. It's because that you've been coming with an irreverence and a casual attitude before the Lord. I want the promised church to be a place where we come in with reverence to a king. It's not about me. It's not about what I can get out of it. It's not about coming to check a box. It's not about coming to feel good. It's not about coming to even sense a thing. It's simply about coming to give praise. The rest of my life, all throughout eternity, the only thing that I will be doing is this, is singing holy. That's it. Holy to Lord. Every time I get a glimpse of him, I'm just going to be singing holy, holy, holy are you. It begins with an understanding of seeing God for who he is. That he is He is the Alpha, He is the Omega, He is the beginning and the end, the great I am, the one who was and is and is to come, greatly to be feared, greatly to be adored, greatly to be praised. 